someone I think that uh, I should have got a girl like Denise had him to do it. <laughs> Manatic, my name is Steve. Is it working? Uh, like the, the gentleman last night said, they've worked their way down. I'm the youngest person here, I hope. Then uh, the youngest in recovery and, and have no idea why I'm here. And I always, I'm saying this mostly for the people back at home. I hate sharing needs. I always feel that if I say that enough times, people stop asking me. And, and uh, it's not that I don't have a message, and, you know, I've been around long enough that I, I do have a message. I'd just rather sit in the back and listen. You know, I, I, I don't like sharing the time I have. You know, I have over 20 years clean. I, that's a, that's a, a, a negative to a lot of people. You know, they start talking about you being a, an old timer and a dinosaur, and you're supposed to know all these things. That's, you know... I, you know, I, I really enjoyed listening to some of the old guys the other day talking about how much they struggle, because I struggle. I do. I'm, you know, I, before I got here, I was a really good thief, liar. I robbed nine banks. I uh, hurt a lot of people. And you know what? I, in working the steps, one of my pure beliefs in six, six and seven is that my character defects have never went anywhere. You know, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that when I get to the Step and Tradition uh, books that we did, because I'm a good addict. I work real hard at being an addict. I'm a good thief. I work real hard. And I find that today it's real easy for me to lie, and it's real easy for me to cheat, and it's real easy for me to steal. Now, I'm not saying that to say that I do that today, but I find that I do it in different ways today, because I was so good at it, I haven't forgot how to do that. And if I'm not diligent in working the program, very quickly, I fall into my old patterns, and um, I, I was listening to a guy, and it was in a different venue altogether, talking about lies. He did a whole thing on an hour and a half on little white lies and so-called lies and real big lies, and you know, and he told all these wonderful definitions and explaining the difference in them and everything. And then when he got to the end, he says, "But one thing he wanted to point out: a lie is a fucking lie." And you know, and I'm in business for myself, and. I lie to my customers all the time. You know, I feel that I have to. I have to tell them a lie why I'm not coming. I'm so busy, I'm not coming. Your job's not that important. i got other jobs that are important. Well, you can't tell people those things. But you know what? That's lying. And I try to be diligent from listening to that guy since, he, since I heard him. I try to tell the truth by telling just enough. But I find that I still lie. You know, and... and, and uh, I still steal in, in the way of stealing your recovery or things from you and sometimes not giving back. You know, I think we all do those things. That's just my opinion, you know, and, and, and I really liked a lot of people this weekend saying, this is just my opinion, you know, the books and the literature are Narcotics Anonymous. Everything I say is my take on, on what it is. Um, I got here the second time in 1982 when I got out of prison because I got almost two years clean in prison. And uh, I was, uh, I'm a plumber by trade, so going through, the, uh, going through the prison system, they always made me a maintenance engineer. It's cheap, cheap help. And I, I moved through. I was a real troublemaker. I, I, I was locked up in, I've been locked up over 140 times. And uh, when I got locked up in 1978, was the first time I went through the Maryland prison system. And uh, it scared me to death. And I thought I was a bad mother. You know, I, I sat in the Maryland Penitentiary for four and a half months, and I saw three people get killed. And uh, I saw, I saw, a, I, and I always like to say this, because this scared me living death, you know. And I never even thought of, of dying when I was on the street and did what I wanted to, to you and to other people and to myself. But I saw a kid, a little 18-year-old kid, a real small guy, give this great big guy an Apple Debbie 
at the Maryland Penitentiary. And in, in, in prison, everything you give, you get back two to one. If it's a cigarette, a cookie, your lunch, whatever it is. And when the kid went on commissary day to get it back, the guy snapped. And then that night after uh, dinner, he was the, the kid was like real nervous standing on this place called the Flats where we all went before we went back in our cells. And this big guy came around the corner. He stuck a shank in his stomach and lifted it up. And I saw things come out of that guy that I never saw in any of the movies that I ever saw. And I went back to my cell. And, and you know, and, and I'm a pretty big guy. And I, I was scared to death. And you can't show your fear in prison, you know. And that was the beginning of my prison. You know, I was there for four and a half years. That was, you know, four and a half, four and a half more years I had to do. And I watched it and I just, I, I laid in my cell. And at first when I got there, I said, you know, I don't belong here. I'm not like these people. And after about two or three weeks at the penitentiary, it just was like one of those spiritual awakenings. I was just like them mothers, and I worked real hard to get there. And I better do something different, or I was going to be on that train back and forth and back and forth. I've been, you know, I've just been locked up too many times, you know. And my family given up on me. I've been in prison four and a half years. My sister visited me once, you know. And uh, I just got scared, and I started going to everything they opened the doors for. And, and I think that's, that, that was the, the best thing that happened to me. You know, people talk about their, their lives and the things they've done. I wouldn't want to change anything I've done. There's a lot of things I say I would like to change, but that's what makes us what we are. And, uh, I think that the, the, my prison, my four and a half years in prison was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I always would hear people say that, and I never really totally understood it until I got farther in recovery and began to work the steps. And, began to find out who I really was, and, you know, I, I don't know I don't know about you, but when I finally did really work the steps honestly, I scared the hell out of myself with what I was and who I was and knew I had to do some change. And, you know, it's taken me a long time, and I'm still the same asshole that I've always been. And I believe that about most of us. I, I try to use the things I've learned not to act out on those character defects. I try to be aware of what my shortcomings are, what are going to stop me from doing the things that, that I do. And uh, one of my... The craziest things I wish I could change is every once in a while I can, as the words are coming out, I wish I could put them back in. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it happens to me a lot. Like, oh God, why'd I say that? You know, and, uh, I came out, I came out uh, of prison and I had 23 months clean. Uh, I was in prison in the first year, year and a half I still used when I first got there and, uh, I was, uh, because I was a maintenance engineer, I had access to the whole prison system. You know, and wherever I was. I've been checked in for escape. I've been checked in for drinking. I've been checked in for hitting a major. I've been checked in for fighting. I've been checked in for just being an asshole. So I, I went through a lot of different places. But they always made me the secretary of the meetings because I could bring extra cookies and extra coffee and, you know, because I had access. And I was at a, a AA meeting at this place called the Brockbridge facility in uh, Maryland one night and, uh, these two guys came in to do a meeting. And they introduced themselves as addicts from a program called Narcotics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, it caught me off guard and it caught everybody else off guard, you know, because we didn't, we didn't understand what they were doing there because it was an AA meeting that they brought in every week. And, uh, normally at a meeting, no matter what it is, whether it's church, AA, the JCs, which today the JCs have always boggled my mind what they're doing in a prison. If you know what the JCs are about, I never understood why they would come to a prison, but they did. And, um, Everybody sort of just, it was, it was social time, because rest time you're locked up, you know. And uh, they run around and, you know, be pouring the sugar in their pockets so they can make jump and, 
you know, stealing all the cookies. And that's what they did. That's what everybody did. And, and being that I was the secretary, I got to sit up front and look at that. And these two guys come in and just themselves from Narcotics Anonymous and explain that they had to go to the AA intergroup and volunteer to do this for four months, you know, and say they were in AA to get to do this, to come in because they tried to get in the prison and they couldn't. The, the prison would let Narcotics Anonymous in, in the prison system. Didn't want no addicts there is what they were told. And uh, so they shared their stories, you know. And, and for me, I, and I think there's a lot of people like me. I used to think we were so different. I think all of us when we come here, we think we're different. You know, the first time I walked into an enemy, I looked around and said, oh, look at these people. I don't want to be around them. And I don't need to be here, and I'm better than all of you. And, I, you know, and uh, they started talking, and the thing that attracted me more than anything was the, was the words they were saying. And when I say that, it was like, fuck. It was real, you know, every sentence, it was in it. And it was like I was standing on the corner. It was like I was dealing with somebody or I was waiting for somebody. It was just I felt comfortable. And the thing that I noticed was that the guys weren't running around. They had slowly settled in to listen to these two guys talk. And it was they just had us. They had us. So when it was over, being the, the, the next morning when I, when I got up, I talked to another guy in the, in the, was in the meeting with me. And uh, seeing that I had the access to the whole prison system, I was drinking my coffee sitting at the warden's desk with my legs up on his desk when he came to work. You know, and he came, what the hell are you doing? You know, and I, I said, well, you know, we wanted to have an narcotics anonymous meeting. I don't want no damn addicts in here. I don't, you know, that's, you know, you just said the same thing. But we, because I was maintenance, I, at least I had a rapport with the guy. And, you know, I could screw around with him. And in the, where we had our meetings was in the cafeteria. And in the cafeteria, we all ate. In the back of the room was a room where the, where the administration could eat that had two-way mirrors. And they could be back there and be, you know, safe for months, I guess. And uh, the next week, when these two guys came in, he came, he stayed after to watch what was going on. And these two guys came in again and introduced themselves, and they, they ran in our class anonymous meeting. They brought in the NA literature the second time, and they, you know, showing us what it was about, and they were talking about what it was like, and, and how they hoped none of us would call the intergroup and tell them they were there, you know. And, and uh, the next morning, the warden called me to his office, and he said, you can have one of the meetings. And I... Uh, that's probably the most emotional you'll see me because I'm not an emotional person. I've never cried. I mean, you won't see me do it. I'll change the subject. I'll tell a joke or I'll be done talking. You know, I'm just, in fact, the sponsor that I have today, I asked him to be my sponsor a couple of years ago. He's, uh, he's got 25 years clean. He's black. He weighs about 300 pounds without the motorcycle, but he cries at the drop of a hat. And I said, that's the only thing I want you to teach me to do. And I just, <laughs> I, I just, I haven't been able to do that, you know. But, uh, so we got to start those meetings and, uh, the guy, one of the guys that came in in the beginning was a, uh, was a plumber like me. His story was almost exactly like, you know, we always say that if you come long enough, you hear your story. Well, I heard my story the first any meeting I was ever in, in prison. And, uh, he made the mistake of giving me his phone number saying I have to call him anytime I want. And, uh, that's one thing. If you're, if you're into H&I, nowadays they tell you don't give your number. I can, I can attest to why you don't do that because I just abused it to death. I called him all the time and asked him for stuff. And being the troublemaker I was, in where I was at in the Maryland penitentiary system, Brockbridge is like the cross place in an X. I don't know if you'll understand. Everywhere you go, you have to go through this place. When you get checked in, you come back there. And when you go somewhere else, you go through there all the time. So I was there a lot. You know, I, I went, I've been in every uh, place that left there. I went to this place called Central Laundry. I went to uh, JPRU. I went to the... Eastern pre-release, I went to Poplar Hill pre-release, I went to Southern, everywhere I went, I would get in trouble and get checked back in, so there, but everywhere I went, this guy would come and we started meetings. 
you know, and they kept bringing meetings in, kept bringing meetings in, you know, and, uh, and believe me, I didn't grasp any of this then. It was years later before I grasped because I never had any intention of getting clean, I, and I really believe, from like my opinion, is none of us wanted to get clean when we came here, unless you came back from a relapse. If you came back from a relapse, you understood how you can get over on us, and that we'll give you everything, and we'll help you. We, you know that, but when you came here the first time, it's usually because of your mother, father, sister, brother, husband, wife, boss, uh, P.O., judge, lawyer. It was one of those people just on your back saying, oh, look, I'll go to the fucking meetings. Just leave me alone. You know, and you figure you can come here for a little bit, and, you know, and then you can go back and do what you want to do. And I believe that of all of us. And uh, I came here the same way. And I came in, the, when I got out of prison, I thought that I would, I would go to some meetings and, you know, and, and then go back to where I was. I'm from D.C. And uh, I moved back to D.C. and, and I uh, went to meetings every day. And hung out with my buddies every night. You know, I met them at the club. Met them, and I thought that was going to work. It did. And it worked for about a month, month and a half. I got out of the prison on Valentine's Day, 1982. And uh, by the 1st of April, that's when I used. And uh, I remember on uh, calling the guy up that I met in that first penitentiary meeting. And um, he could tell I was high on the phone, you know. And he, he asked me to come up and stay with him for a couple of days. And I went up there. And, and he... And, he made a deal with me. He said, you know what, you know, why don't you stay here? I'll give you a key to the house. You know, you can drive my car. I'll help you get a job. All I want you to do is do what we do. And I, I don't know how many of you have made that 90-day deal. God, what a deal. I, I, you know, I, 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 please don't agree to do what we do because he was a service junkie. And in 90 days, I think I went to 370-something meetings. I went to four conventions. Uh, I, you know, I mean, it was like, it was like, and until I got a job, I had no, you know, you just did not have the idea. You know, I was just coming up here to, I was getting over. He's giving me a key to his goddamn house. He's going to give me money. He's going to pay me, you know, food. going to help me find a job. Let me drive his car. I mean, I, I mean, it's an addict's dream. So every morning at 10 o'clock, there'd be a, somebody in the driveway banging. So I got a job, banging on the door. Come on, miss, I'm going to meet. Take me to 10.30 meet. And, and they weren't taking no for an answer. So I would get up and go to the meet. And the meeting would be over 10.30 and uh, 11.30, and they'd get me back, and there'd be somebody sitting in the driveway waiting to take me to a goddamn noon meeting. <laughs> and uh, so I got to go to the noon meeting, and I had no meeting was over, and I wasn't front. This was in Annapolis, and I'm from D.C. They'd take me to the noon meeting, and the noon meeting was over. They'd take me out and buy me, you know, lunch and show me Annapolis to try to get me oriented, and they'd usually get me home between 3 and 4. And if my roommate wasn't already home from work, he'd be just getting home, let me jump in the shower, and we could go to a meeting. It didn't take long. Man. I was getting tired of that shit. I actually wanted a job, you know. And uh, and, and you could do this stuff. And there were no NA meetings in Annapolis at the time. There were none. And uh, so there were there were seven meetings in Baltimore, and I think there was thirteen meetings in Washington D.C. And they're both about thirty miles from Annapolis. So every night we had to do that too. So every night I'd be getting home at eleven, twelve o'clock at night, you know, from these meetings, you know. And of course, but I wasn't working, so it shouldn't make any difference. But you know, I just I was getting ragged. I'm going to all these goddamn meetings over and over. I'm going to convention. If I went to a convention, I would write down every meeting I went to. So that's how I got 300-something meetings. And I would go to meetings, and there was never more than eight or ten people in meetings then, where, where I was from. And uh, you had to talk at every meeting. And I can tell you, I, I'm your worst nightmare to meet because it was like, you know, I got, right from the beginning, you know, I agreed to be here 90 days. Keep your fucking hands off me. I don't like you people. I'm only going to be here until I run out of what I agreed to do. I got 72 meetings, days left, 
keep your hands off every time. I got 61 days left here, so you keep your hands off me. I don't want none of you to. I can tell you, if you don't like being touched, don't tell Axe. <laughs> After every meeting, every son of a bitch hugged his shit out of me. And I, you know, I just felt so, I, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. But I learned later, much later, that that probably was what saved me. And that, that uh, the program was so small then. I heard the, the, the old times were talking about that. You know, I hate, never we used to talk about, you know, when I was a kid, I had to go five miles, you know, shoes, you had shoes, you know, all that, those things we hear. But, you know, I hate to say that's just how it was, you know. And it, nowadays, it's just, it's just, there's just too many people in the rooms to be saved the way we were saved. I mean, I'm just such an obnoxious asshole. I don't even, there's, there's got to be, you know, higher power reasons that, that someone like me stays here. And every day when I go to meetings, I hear so many of you went through that. And I know that uh, even in those areas, I had no intention of staying clean. It was a 90-day deal. I figured that in 90 days, I could figure what it was that I missed in prison from you assholes. And that I could go back to D.C. and do what I wanted to do. And uh, I, I work in D.C. I have a business in D.C., but I, I don't live there. I never went back other than to go to meetings. You know, and do my work. I just never have went back. And, uh, and I can remember that uh, when I got out of prison, I just for a little history of our, because uh, I have no idea. I, I, I was telling Lynn, the first night here listening to people talk, I figured none of them had topics. I had a specific topic to talk about. And I'll get to that now because he said I'm supposed to do other stuff too. But uh, we were in the mid-Atlantic region. It was pretty much the whole East Coast. Of course, I didn't know what it was, you know, but we were in that. And then... Very shortly, in the first year I was out, we broke off from them for no good reasons. I don't know if you all ran into this. I don't think anything breaks. No group, no area. Nothing breaks up for a good. It's always some some personal animosity, and you break up, and we became the CNP region. And then uh, in 1989, we started talking about CNP being too big. We wanted to start another region. And then at the uh, July 1990 uh, uh, regional meeting, after the ad hoc committee gave their report, and the chair of the committee was, I don't know if a lot of you will know, the chair of the committee brought in this big box to sell them these baby blue texts. And uh, the whole region blew up. There was a big argument, and Baltimore stood up and said they were leaving the region. And so two months later in, in September, we formed the Free State region. It was, it was all out of the same thing, the anger, resentment. That's what it was about, you know, and they, wanted, they started a new region. And... Uh, and I remember at, at that first region, we elected these two guys, and what we did was just like ads to show what ads are today. We voted to send those guys to the world to ask to be a new region. And we sat around and discussed it, and, and, I, and I'm sure some of you will understand this. We discussed it, and what we did was we donated, I don't know, two or $3,000. We gave them a check. We figured if they took money, it worked. We became a region. And I say that because years later when I was at the world, it, you couldn't buy your way to be a region. We got too many reasons. You just couldn't do it. And, uh, and we bought our way in as a region. And uh, as I grew up in recovery, I truly believed in the us and them for years and years, the us and them. My roommate was involved in world service the whole time, and he would come back and give us reports, and it was just us and them. It was always us and them. And uh, I had 12 years clean before I went to the world when I finally got involved in Wells, because I'd done everything else at the area level and the region level, and I had all the positions, and, and so I agreed to go, and I went as a, a second alternate. And, and I, I think the importance of that is I hear people that haven't been to the world 
talk about us and them. I hear people talk about what they do and the things that they do, and I believed all that, and I think that comes from the, I don't know, I, I wish I could think of a better word than ignorance, because I'm not saying it as a negative, but it's the ignorance of knowing what really goes on in the world, the, the dedication to people that are there. You know, their, their, their bottom line is they just want what's best for NA. I'm not saying that they don't go off on tangents and have their own agendas. That all happens everywhere. It happens in your home group. But when it comes down, the bottom line is it's what's best for NA. And I learned that when I was out there. I learned so, I've seen people at my group, area, and region level argue and never speak to each other again. I've seen that happen at the world, and ten minutes later, they're hugging. You know, they walk out of the room, come right back, and they're just together again because it's for the best of NA. I've seen people get vehemently yelling and screaming. I was one of them at the world. You don't and not get in your way, and I've seen them go along with what's been voted in, whether they agree with it or not, because it's what's supposed to be good for NA. And there's lots of things that have happened that uh, that I don't agree with. But the thing is, they, once it, once we voted in, it's in. You know, I one of the one of my biggest disappointments was us becoming one board, because what we did to me, for my is we got rid of all the committees. And, uh, and, and being on the committees, is, is that's why I'm here, for the literature committee. I didn't go to the world to be on the literature committee. You know, I worked on the literature committee in my area and region because I was, I'm one of you. You know, it's a shame that the people here, we represent, what, 10%, do, do 90% of the work. And, and, but, see, that's the reality of the program. We, got, you know, we can't believe that it's never going to be more than 10%. That's what it is in, in society. So it's not, that's what it is. So, but what we have to do is we have to bring people in, you know, and, and the best way to do that is through our sponsors, uh, sponsors and sponsees, is to bring people in. And uh, we, I went there to find out what it was about. But at the area and regional level, I was, I was blessed to work on think reason. I was blessed to work on literature. I was blessed to work on public information. Because I was one of those 10% that did, that did, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted you to do what I said. And I learned that from the guy I lived with and from everybody else in service. It was like we knew what was right. But the reality was is we knew what was right because we were more informed and we knew what had to be done. I, I, uh, I can remember when we did, when the, uh, It Works Town Wide was done and, and I've talked to a couple of people this weekend about us losing the right to put the input and stuff like that. But you know what? The input was there. It wasn't done. I, I objected with a lot of the way it was done. But the input was there. You know, my region inputted 6 and 7 and 11 in the Itwork Town Wide. And when I say that, I don't mean we sat down and write something. I mean months and months and months for years and years and years. Because let's be real. The Itwork Town Wide book, I mean, you can say all the things you want about we need a book and our book and the basic text. The Edward Town Watch was eight goddamn years. They've had five different books. We had it written by professionals and non-professionals. We kept telling them no, no, no. And we finally got a book. Okay, we got a book. You know, and I can tell you this. That book, when it came out, was the biggest selling book from Hazleton going to the AA program. I mean, that's how. And we got, we got letters from the AA. Well, you've got to play. It's a great book. It finally goes in depth with the 12. It's ours. It's ours. It was written by us. You know, I'm sorry if you didn't get to put input and Joe didn't get to put input. You had the opportunity and you didn't. You know, and those of you that did should be very proud of the fact that there's something of you in there. I can see things that we wrote in our workshop in the steps. You know, and uh, and so that got that got me interested. I went to the world, and, and when I went to the world, I, I went there to be part of H and I, 
I came in this program in H&I. I grew up through H&I. I love going to H&I meetings. There's a, there's a bond with my mind when I'm sitting in a room and there's 25 guys in orange suit suits, and I realize that I'm one decision away from being there. That, I'm not lost that. That's what's really important to me. And I went out there, and I found that the whole voting structure, Jim was talking about that, you couldn't get into a committee. It was really difficult. So I had to put a name on the list, and they would talk about it later, and they'd let me know if I could be on the list, to be considered to be on the list, to be on the committee. Because the committees were pretty big then. And, uh, and, and I didn't like it. I thought it was elitism. And, uh, and my reason, the free state reason, when it was CNP, and they're like, we've always had someone at the world level active. We've always had somebody doing something. And at that particular time, the guy that was on world literature just left to go back to college. And so we, we didn't have anybody. So I said, well, I'll go try literature. And I had no, you know, even though I'd worked on the, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. I'm an addict. I, I was listening to, to Bo the other night. I remember when I went back to college and I got out of prison, and I did English 101. I'd never passed it before, but I got A's on everything because I was writing my story. That was so easy to do. And my, my professor was in AA. So he thought it was great. But for me, the difference for me is I did it for one semester. And then I quit, you know, doing it. I wasn't interested no more. But, uh, but I remember that. But I went to be a part of literature, and they had the same setup of getting in. But I don't know why I got, I got voted into, I guess it's my mouth mostly. You know, I was a bully. I was always a bully. And so I got, I got on the list to be considered to be on the list right away there. And I didn't get voted into H&I until the next year, but I was already on literature. And uh, we had just had the, the It Works How and Why. It had just come out the year before, and they were talking about the step guy, which, uh, which sounded interesting because we've never had, you know, I know that every one of you have had to have the experience of getting somebody's step guy from somewhere some step here, this step came from there, this step came from And that, like, just interesting. It was very interesting. We were going to do our own step guide. Of course, I had no idea what it entailed. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a letter that they give you at the world that you don't, you should get it at your home group level, I think. But the letter says, before you decide to be part of the world services, you have to realize of how it's going to affect your social life, your home life. It's going to cost you money. You're going to have to give up a lot. It tells you all those things. And, uh, of course, you're there and you're a service junkie, or you wouldn't be there. You're not sure, but you still don't realize it until you get involved in one of those committees and back and forth to California. You're going back and forth to California. You're meeting. Every week I got stuff in the mail. I bet you we had 50 pounds. I say that for what was Isn't that what you said, brother? Tell them I got all those boxes. It was no good. But 50 pounds of literature meant, I mean, we just had stacks and stacks of input. And... I know that all of you have heard of group conscience, but I would challenge that most of you don't know what group conscience is. And I, I heard Bo talking about this a little because that's where I learned about group conscience. We went through every single piece of input, every single sentence, everything got broke down, everybody's input was put in, nobody's input was thrown away, and every time somebody disagreed with something, we tweaked a sentence, a word, until we had a group conscience on every sentence that we had in every step, every paragraph, everything was tweaked till it was accepted. Then we sent it to the person that, that we had that was in the program that was our writer, and she would bring them back one step at a time, and then we'd change every fucking thing that we just gave her and do it again. And I didn't think we were ever going to finish that. And, and the passion that I really had in doing that was in step six and seven. 
because we had about 23 people, I think it was, on the committee. And I, in fact, when, when Lynn called me to get me to do this, I told him there was 22 other people. I'll give you some of their numbers. Get them. I don't, I don't really like speaking. I called some of them. So I told them, I called several of them, tried to give me some input so I'd be able to tell you stuff that I would forget. None of them answered my call, so you're getting me. You know, and, 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 I, and I realized from listening to the other speakers that, you know, I, I'm sure I'm telling some lies, too. Just like I'm sure some of them did, you know, and we heard some disagreements. But in my, in my uh, region, wrote a lot on 6 and 7. I, and this is my belief, and I really believe this is true. In, uh, in AA, and, you know, if you come, if you came, been around for a while, you had to have some contact with AA. And Bob Wilson wrote a lot about the steps and the traditions. And he wrote that shortcomings and character defects are the same thing. He wrote this in, in one of his writings. And the reason he changed the words is he didn't want to write the same thing twice. Well, narcotics analysis has never treated shortcomings and character defects as the same thing. And I believe that if we treated the same thing, I don't think I could have got clean. I needed to see a difference. I needed to see it was my shortcomings that caused me to act out on my character. I needed to see that. And that's the way we treated it. Well, the chair of the literature committee came up through AA, and that was the biggest disagreement we had was six and seven. So here we were going through one through five and had all this beautiful group conscience work done. And we got to six and seven, and he wasn't going to budge that he wanted us to have shortcomings and character defects in both steps written so many times so people would realize it was the same. And we had 22 other people who told me he was crazy. But he was the chair. He was the, And me, to show you how aggravating I was, my favorite thing was I, I brought my Elmo the doll to all the meetings. And every time he got on my nerves, I pushed her thing. You know? <laughs> I did that all the time. You know, it's like, and so him and I had a lot of altercations, you know. And we spent, I know it was a day and a half arguing about six and seven. Just arguing back. Because we had tweaked it every way we can, except we weren't giving in to him, and he wasn't giving in to us. He wanted it that way. And being the, I guess being the leader, he had to come up with something. And what he said was, let's close early tonight. Let's go out to dinner, all of us to dinner, and we'll sleep on it. And we'll come back tomorrow, and we'll see where we're getting. And none of us believed anything was going to happen. And, uh... We all went to dinner. Elmo went with us. And uh, the next morning we came in, and the, the, the co-chair of the other thing said, well, let's get started on this. And the chair said, let's vote. And the co-chair said, well, we've got to go over to see again. He said, let's just vote and see how we go. And so how does everybody feel with what we've done so far? And he said, who agrees with keeping them separate, character defects and shortcomings? And everybody raised their hand. And he said, uh, yeah, I do too. You know, and he went along with it. And, and you know, that's, to me, that's, group conscience has nothing to do with your arm. It has to do with agree, going over and tweaking words and agreeing, coming to that, con, that consensus, whatever the hell that means, the consensus of we're all going to agree that this is going to be okay. You know, and, uh, and that was just so wonderful. And, it was so, and there are sentences, and I know... There, I'll tell you, the, the guy who was the chair, I, I don't want to break his anonymity, although it would be fun, but it was, he was from New York. He was from New York. And there are sentences in the step guide that are word for word from input from New York. New York had more input than anybody. But we got work, input from Australia and input from India and input from Germany. We got so much, we had input that we had to have translated to use. But we got input from everywhere. 
And there are sentences, there are a couple of paragraphs in 6 and 7 that my region wrote word for word that's in there, you know, with the word tweaked here and there. And that's just, it's so special. That is so special. Having said that, is where my anger comes in with something like the sponsorship booklet that we're getting to me shoved down on first. And I'm not saying it's not a good book. It is. It's a good book. I'm, I've been over it. And I've went over it. I don't know why they send it to me. They'd be crazy send it to me. But I went over it half a dozen times, and I got things that I would want to change. And the thing is, is that it's something that we needed. When I was on the literature committee, when we voted to go with one board and disband the committee, my literature committee was already working on it, the sponsorship booklet. We had a stack of about a foot and a half high of input on the sponsorship book, and we wanted to do it. And my biggest concern, and I was asked to be on the uh, sponsorship booklet committee, and I was on it for about six months. It's the first position I've ever had in our cosmonomics where I dropped out of it. I dropped out of it because I believe that we were told to write a book with the input from the fellowship that finally had direction. And in all of our writing, all of it, and I'm not arguing that it's wrong, but we have chosen in all of our writing to write suggestions and to get, leave it open for you to do it. And, and my personal opinion is that our sponsorship in Narcotics Anonymous as a whole has eroded almost nothing. You know, when you get a sponsor that doesn't write steps and tells the sponsees he doesn't, when they sponsor people and do that, after two or three little generations, Steps are gone. They're gone, you know, and, and we lose that. And, and I think that that's what we needed to do a sponsorship book for, because we have to have direction. And I just think it's kind of loose. But it's at least it's a book, and it's more in depth, and it gives better suggestions. And if it gets voted in, which I'm sure it will, if it gets voted in, you know, and then that's my objection. And why don't we get voted in if we've never had a chance to input it? You know, that's just my opinion. But if it gets voted in, I will follow it just like I have the concepts that were so-called. Down on price, you know I mean? but, but I accept them. I accept them. And, and uh, to think that's never been, it's always, it's always been done, you know. But the thing is, is when I was at the world, I learned what group conscience was. I learned, I, I very quickly took everyone's inventory when I got there. I very quickly decided who was worth a shit and who wasn't. And I very quickly made a lot of mistakes in that area. But I watched, the thing I watched, I heard somebody talk about the other day, about the voting and I watched it because every year, every year, before I got there and up to when I got there every year, that motion came up that only RSR should do. But you know what? I watched the trustees. I watched because I wanted ammunition for that. And if there was a vote that they could change by their vote, they didn't vote. They didn't vote because they, they knew that. They just, I, and I mean, I saw it over and over. I saw them. Walk, I saw when... An abstention would be counted as a no vote. I seen them leave the room so their name they wouldn't answer their name because they didn't want to be counted either way. They'd leave, and you know I gained respect for a lot of those people that I didn't like. You know I gained respect for somebody that I've already judged as a total asshole and that I didn't believe anything they say. When if they would have voted, it would have caused problems or it would have been against what I wanted, and then they would walk out the room because they wouldn't vote. And and so what I do is I started asking them. They said, "Well, we've decided as." members of the trustees, to not be a part of change in the vote. Because because that, the votes were usually so lopsided it didn't make a difference. But when it came to the heated issues, the votes were always close, where one or two votes would make it go a different way. 
and so they didn't vote. And, I, and I'm telling you, from my experience, to being on the side of us and them, that they really changed my mind, you know, that, that here are some people that, yes, they have agendas, but their, their main agenda is for the betterment of narcotics and honor. And I'm totally against the world board. But I pray that they, they will keep their agendas going in the right direction for narcotics. And I believe that when we do something wrong, our higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, allows us to do something wrong because we need to learn something there too. And I believe that today. I didn't used to believe that. And I believe today that everything's going to be all right. You know what I mean? I, and, I, and I can't, if you don't have that in you, I can't give that to you. I don't even know where it comes. But somewhere in working steps and being involved in a program, you come to a place where you just know it's going to be all right. And you need that when, you're, when things aren't all right. You know, for me, hitting my knees and praying is real important because that's something that I would never do, is be on my knees anywhere. And praying was, you know, only when I was getting arrested. But today I find... That quite often I pull into a gas station, get the key to the bathroom, and go in to pray in front of the China Bowl because that's where that's the most comfortable place I've ever got on my knees. I don't know about you, I've done that a lot. And I go in, I pray, I start my day over there, I pray for people there, I pray for myself there a lot. And 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 I've learned that things are going to be all right. You know, I can remember people saying you can start your day over any time you want to, and I'm telling you, I never believed it until I did it many, many, many times and had my day started over. And once I let go, things work out. I, you know, I'm pissed that it works. I'm pissed at the steps. Where I'm pissed because it, it just didn't make no sense to me that y'all had the answer. It just didn't make no sense. You know, and uh, I made all these notes and didn't look at one of them. <laughs> we were talking about that this morning. You know. uh, I think I told everything. Let me tell a little bit about my region so you'll know that I told you about how it developed. We have a, uh, a newsletter called Together We Can that was published in December of 1981. It's the longest running newsletter in the world that's never been broken up. It's still running, although it's... It, and, and, you know, that's really silly because I, I heard someone talking about the NA way. I think it was Jim. It's so funny that I remember I was on that committee for a couple of years, and whoever was on the committee writes the whole damn thing. You know, all you got to do is give, like you said, a word, a sentence. You got, when you go in the room and they pass that, okay, you got to write two, you got to write one, you got to, <laughs> because it has to come out so there's stuff written on that. And uh, and Baltimore has a hotline, and uh, and I don't know those of you that know the difference, but a hotline is an addict answers the phone when you call, and we've done that for years. I don't know. I, I swear I don't know. I. I volunteered for Hotline a couple of times, but the first time I volunteered for it, I volunteered to do midnight to seven, because I figured that would be the time I would do the least. If, don't do that. Don't do that. Let me tell you. And you know, the phone rings at three in the morning, and you, you go, oh, shit. You know, don't they know that, you know, who, what the hell, and you go, hello, you know, this, and it's somebody that wants help, and, you, and you, you know, you're thinking, you know, because we think a lot faster than we think, don't you, I'm home, my wife, my kids sleep, I'm, you know, i got to go to work at 6 o'clock, where are you at? I'll be right there. You know what I mean? You know, and, and you do it, and it's rewarding, but gee, man, I, you know, don't volunteer for 3 to 7 in the afternoon, you know? That's when you don't want to volunteer. Don't, have, don't volunteer for midnight to 8, I'm telling you. I learned that. That was, that was terrible. But we have that hotline. And uh, 
We have over 700 meetings in the, in the, uh, in the Free State region. Now, we have, I don't know, three to four, between three and 400 meetings a week in Baltimore. I know that we're the, uh, I think I wrote it down here so I wouldn't forget, we're the third largest area and the fifth largest region. And, uh, to me, that's totally irrelevant, but the guys from my area, and I'm, and I'm oh, I, I gotta do this or I'll never, and I, my, my home group is, uh, the therapeutic value, six o'clock on Sunday is the best home group in the world. If you're ever in Baltimore, come on down. Yeah, it's, it's a great home group. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, but that's what I'm a member of. I'm a member because the people there are serious. You know what I mean? And if you are in Baltimore, I'll tell you, I can tell you that isn't my home group. Tuesday at eight o'clock in Baltimore, every Tuesday is a step in tradition meeting. And I think it's the best meeting I've ever been to. It's like going to school. When they read the thing, whatever step they're on, whatever tradition they're on, the secretary they're like, we're on the seventh step tonight, and if you can't talk about seventh step, we prefer not to hear from you. Okay. And every week you hear five to ten people talk. On, it's an education. It's like going to school. So we got an our, our meeting is a topic meeting, so we have a topic, and we don't just call on people to call on them. Personally, I think one of the... And I always hear about this. I know somebody will grab me. I think that the, one, the worst thing that NA ever did was encourage newcomers to talk at meetings. I, I, just, I, I just really, truly believe that. Um, you, again, my opinion, you don't have a fucking thing to say. And, and you know, you're supposed to, and especially when you come from a treatment center, you come from a treatment center, you're in meetings all day, and you don't share, you won't talk, you don't do anything. You come to a meeting, and you just got to talk. And if one of you talks, then all of you got to talk. And, you know, and, and I think that you're sent to meetings, you're told to go to meetings to listen, to find somebody that has something you want, find yourself a temporary sponsor. I don't believe in sponsorship in the beginning either, in my opinion, because of experience. If I asked Bob to be my sponsor because I thought he sounded good at the meeting, for sure in the next two weeks I'm going to find out what an asshole he is. And I'm so new that I don't want to talk to him and I don't know what to do. But if I ask Bob to be my temporary sponsor and I hear him talk tomorrow and change my mind, he'll understand. That's why in the beginning, you need somebody giving you input. I believe that you should always go to meetings with a person. And I say that for experience. On the way to a meeting by yourself, you're in the worst company you could be in. But when you're with somebody, you can give each other every reason in the world not to go to the meeting. But because we're such assholes, we'll keep each other on the way to the meeting. And then when the meeting's over, on the way home, you will take everybody's inventory that talked in the meeting, and that's good. And I was on the way to a meeting one night with a guy that I went to meetings all the time, and he said, Steve, I'm done. I've already called so-and-so down on Clay Street, and I went, let's go, I want to go pick something up. And I said, oh, yeah, that's Kevin. Okay. But first, we've got to go to the meeting. We've got to share about it. We've got to pray about it tonight, and tomorrow we'll go down to Clay Street. Oh, you son of a bitch. Okay, okay, okay. So we go to the meeting. A month goes by. No, nothing, never a word about it or anything. And I have a bad day at work. And I say, Kevin, fuck this. Who's that guy on Clay Street? And he says, okay, Steve, I'll call him tomorrow. But first, we've got to go to the meeting. And you've got to share. You know, that's what this is about. You know, it's, it's, it's our assholeness. That's what it is. You know what I mean? We're going to, get, we're going to do this to each other. But you know what? It's growth, and you need, you need to do that. You know, we talk about not taking people's inventory. That's bullshit. If you don't, you've got to take everybody's inventory. If you don't, you're not going to grow. We talk about controversy. It's the best thing we have in the program is controversy. If we all agree, just think how fucking boring it would be. You've got to have controversy to grow. That's really so important. You have to have it. And that's what's, what's really great about service work. Because, face it, you put two of us 
Much less we put 10 and 15. You put two of us in a room and we're going to have problems. You put 10 of us, we're going to have growth. You know, and if you learn what group conscience is, we're going to have positive growth. And, and that's just so important. You know, I, I just think that the, the controversy is really important. I think that most of the negative stuff that we hear is from people that are espousing things that they heard from other people. It's not from experience. It just isn't from experience because mostly the assholes in the 10% that are working are working for Narcotics Anonymous. They may, some of us, including myself, some of us are on the wrong direction lots of times. But if we're around a group of people that are, are, are for narcotics, which is what the 10% is, well, you know, you're just not going to be involved in service if you're about destroying our program. What for? You know, you're not going to be hanging out in the service meeting. You're not going to be involved. You're not going to, you know, I think that my biggest character defect, as I got clean, the more I got clean, I kept raising my hand for stuff. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. You know, until you get yourself so overwhelmed, you can't. You need people in your life to tell you, you know, stop fucking volunteering for shit. You've got too much to do already. And you know what? Every one of us in that 10% does that. You know, we go to a meeting, and I was told, and I tell my sponsees, and I'm sure that you do the same thing, I tell my sponsees, I don't care what you do, but you go to something. You go check it out. And then when they come out, I wonder, what was the literature committee like? What didn't you like about H&I? All i got to do is ask them that, and then they know I'm going to ask them, so they got to go. And then what happens is they come back and they join something. And that's, we have to do that. We forget that, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm certainly uh, guilty of that, you know. Uh, I'm remarried. I have a business. I've presented out of the hospital uh, four times in the last year. I'm much too busy to do anything. And so the answer to that with my home group elected me GSR. And I didn't want to do it. I'd go, and I was there the first time, came back and gave them this glowing report of what, how terrible they had this all was. And they said, good, that's why we put you there. Change it. <laughs> and I'm a big enough asshole that I'm going to do something. You know, I'm going to change it. I'm going to yell, and I'm going to scream. And yet we, they need us. We think that, you know, we get, they say, we get, we need a break. I, I took a break. When I got off BNRD, I took a break for two years. I'm out of my mind. I, I don't know what to do with myself. And I didn't want the GSR, and I went, and I'm so glad to be there because I'm, I know the answer to that. You know, I'm brand new. I'm going to, I went and said, I'm not going to say nothing for a couple of months. You know, I'm going to come here because I come in the Baltimore area service, and, and the girl that was the chair, I've known her for years, she says, what are you doing here? I said, therapeutic value elected me as a GSR. She says, oh, shit. I says, well, don't, don't worry. I said, don't worry. I said, I'm not going to say anything for a couple of months. I'm just going to see how things are working. I think I lasted for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I said, don't we operate by Robert Kuhl's order here? And she said, yeah. I said, well, then why are we doing this? Because Robert Kuhl's order says, you know, and then they all look at me, well, who's he? <laughs> he used to be our RD. Well, how come, what does Robert Kuhl's order really say? And then all of a sudden I'm standing up talking, and I'm saying, wait, I said I wasn't going to say anything, you know? So I've been to three of them now. In fact, area service was yesterday, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't go. And uh, my wife said that they were kind of glad I wasn't there. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I tell you, I went and we have a we have an area convention in Baltimore, which to me doesn't make any sense because we have a regional convention. But Baltimore, see how I'm from the Baltimore area. I'll hear about this from now. I'm from the Baltimore area now, 
But really, I'm from Annapolis. And I used to, my roommate, everywhere he goes, he always says from Baltimore. And I even did here. I felt really, I went back to the room. I can't believe I wrote Baltimore on here, you know. But that's, I'm the reason, I'm the ASR there, and that's why I'm from Baltimore. But they wanted, they want to be, uh, East or something. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. That's what they want to be, you know. And so they're having an area service thing, and I went there last month, and they want to elect the new board for the new area service convention. Except that the new board is one person for each position. They've already got them picked. And so they present each person, and each person comes up and talks about themselves, and they answer any questions, and the person goes out, and they want to vote. I don't know if you... If you know Robert Schultz's order, that's a, you don't have to do that. You don't have to say, here we got a slate. Does anybody have a problem with any of these people? Okay, nobody has a problem. Acclamation, they're in. All of them are in. No, no, we took two and a half hours to introduce these people. And so then, we did nothing in area service. I'm going, what are we doing? You don't understand. And I'll say, well, the problem is I do understand. I mean, you know, that's the problem is I didn't understand, you know? And, we'll be, we'll just, and, and it's just crazy. It's crazy. But each of us needs to stay involved. Each of us needs to drag our sponsees there to be involved. Uh, I, I don't know if I, I – there were some things that Lynn wanted me to say that, that I don't oh, – I remember one. This is something that I, I don't know the exact figures, but this happened, and I heard people talking, and I just think it's really important that we know this, that um, – they were talking about all the stuff that was lost from Jimmy K. And in my last year at the conference, the, uh, the office chair, uh, George, had to come in and apologize to us and ask us if it was okay because he had just authorized the controller to give him a check for $30,000 to buy all the contents of Jimmy K's, what was it, a garage full of boxes and everything of all this stuff because people were trying to buy it from Betty. So we have two rooms full of stuff that we haven't even been through yet. So you heard all the stuff that Fawn was talking about and all this. We do have the majority of that stuff. And we'll, it'll take us years to go through it. So we do have our history. I think it's so important that we understand that. And, I, and myself, and I'm sure a lot of people were upset that George authorized the guy to pay $30,000 without talking to us, but it was a last-minute thing that somebody was offering her more money and they were going to take it, and it would all have been on eBay, and we wouldn't have got any of it. You know, we're talking, and, and to me, I just can't, I can't understand why any of you would sell anything on eBay from Narcotics Anonymous. I just, that's me. Now, I don't care if you need money or not. You know, I don't, can't understand why you would do that, because it's our history, and it's done all the time. Uh, now, I go to conventions, and at auctions at conventions, I think that's good, because it's going to people in the program, it's not out there in the public domain, and it's not done for the same reason, you know. And uh, But I just don't understand the eBay thing of selling stuff from Narcotics Anonymous. I mean, I, to me, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those people who say if it wasn't for Narcotics Anonymous, I would be dead, because I don't believe that. I believe that every person that's here is here because of some spark in you that you do. It's what I, I'm here because of me. Because I've watched tens of thousands of people come in and, hey, they ain't here, they ain't using their debt, they're out there using. So it isn't N.A., it's what's in you. It's the decision that you make. You know, I was scared shitless, man. I just didn't want to live the way I was living anymore. Now, my choice was not to get clean. That wasn't my choice. 
My choice was to find something different. And it's really ironic that the word fuck is what attracted me to this program. You know what I mean? It's really ironic just the way they talk. You know? Because the guys in JC's talk an awful lot nicer, but they have nothing I wanted. You know? And, and it's just, it just, it just so ironic. And you end up in here where I know every one of you, I used to believe we were unique, and I know we're so much alike, every one of you felt this way. You looked around the first meeting you were in and said, uh-uh, uh-uh, not peace, Jesus Christ, no. And this is where I'm most comfortable, you know, and uh, give it a chance if you haven't. Although, you know, I guess when I say that, I'm saying nothing to people that may listen to this, because if you're here, you're here because you're involved. That's why they ain't at the door fighting to get in. I mean, that's just not what service is about, and this is a service-oriented thing. It's a very few get involved. And I tell you, for me, I was like so, I was blown away to see Bo being one of the speakers. You know, I told him my, my vision is here's world services, and here's Bo, and then here's world services, and here's Bo, and I believe that one day here's world services, and here's Bo. See, I believe that. That's my vision because Bo in the trunk of his car has so much of NA that we don't get because it hasn't been approved by the fellowship. But, excuse me, but, Bo, is that you're a member of the fellowship? See, I don't, I don't grasp that. And, and uh, I don't agree with the way we're doing things now, but I was there, and we voted for it. You know, I can remember going around to try my best to get both sides of motion one. <laughs> you know, trying my best to get both sides, praying you guys would understand. That was a foolish thing, that was. And we voted for it. And, you know, and, and I do believe that voting to be a worldwide fellowship was the best thing at the right time. However, we're not prepared yet for that. We're not prepared to be the worldwide fellowship that we are. And the main reason we're not prepared is so many of you son of a bitches don't send your money for them. You know, that's really sad. I mean, I can remember the, the uproar at World Services when the Board of Trustees brought in principles, what was the name of that? Self-principles and self-supporting, the, the pamphlet that they wrote, which goes against every guideline we they have, but the reality is, is we don't pass our money forward. If we, they said one of the community reports that we got is if, if each person in NA would send one dollar a month, to the, we'd have ten times the money we have. You know, I, I'll tell one little story. I'm not big on stories. I'll tell one little story. I got really embarrassed at a meeting in California. Uh, we were out there, I don't know what year it was we were out there, we were out there, we were at a meeting, and, the, and it was on the basket. And this young kid was sharing, and at the middle of the meeting, they have a break to smoke cigarettes out there. We don't do that in Rockland from it, that's what they did. And then this kid was sharing, and he said that he put money in the basket, his sponsor told him that he had to put a dollar in the basket for every year he was clean. And I had 12 years clean. I thought, God damn, I'm putting $12 in the basket, you know? And I was like, I'll be about it. We went out for break, and I grabbed him right over, you know, what the hell are you talking about? And I put my daughter there. And he said that his sponsor set him down and explained to him that he got here and got clean and had nothing. A lot of people didn't have nothing, didn't put nothing in the basket. He said, a lot of people don't like putting baskets, they only where the money goes. It's none of your business where the money goes. If you really care about it, join that home group and make sure where the money goes. And he said, as you get clean and develop a lifestyle and get a family and get a job, you're doing better. You've got to put more than a dollar in the basket. He says, forget that, that you can't buy a cup of coffee for a dollar. You're putting money in the basket for NA. That's what you're putting in. And that he believed you should put it in for every year. 
So I, you know, I thought that was totally absurd. But I'm a member of the program, and I, I have a higher power, and I've prayed. So since that day, I had 12 years. I now have tw 21 and a half years. I put five off. No, no, I figure that's. And I go to like five or six meetings a week, and I put five off in the basket. And if I don't have it, I'll borrow it from the person next to me and give it back to them. I just, and it's a guilt. I guilted myself. I guilted myself. And, uh, and, and I believe that you need to look at that, those of you that put the dollar in. Because it's like somebody was saying up here, it's the people that put the dollar in that have everything. I just can't understand it. I just can't understand it, man, you know. And, and we, need, we voted as a fellowship to help Australia, to help Japan, and to help Asia. You know, I know that my area... I had a big fight. I got this award at the World. I, I, I was telling someone, I got the award. It's the, the Mike Hogg Award. And I took it home and hid it. Nobody in my reason that I got that. But I took it home and hid it, and I got it because my wife asked me what it was, my new wife, and I, I had to explain to her what it was. And she said, well, I never heard of this. I said, I know. You know? But the reason I got it was because my area wanted to give. We heard the countries talking about not having anything, and my area wanted to give my books, basic text to Peru. And we voted to send a thousand dollars worth of basic text to Peru. I know, I know you all remember this. And, and when you get the word, I was, I was not a person that got up with the mic. But I got up to ask why they wouldn't let me do that. And, and they, they didn't want us to do that. They wanted us to give them the thousand dollars and they would do what needed to be done with it. And, uh, they wouldn't tell me anything on the, on the floor. And I got up on the floor and tried to talk. And it was really a shame that it was, wasn't the chair and it wasn't the co-chair. It was that girl that was the third chair, the mayor, mayor. And I talked for about a minute. She said, okay, Steve, you know, you can sit down. And I said, you ain't big enough to sit me down with you. I'm not. You know, all the other people. I said, I'm here until I'm done. And I stood, stayed there and yelled and screamed until they gave me an hour the next day to discuss that. And then we went out in the, in the, uh, in the break. And then the guys at the world board were willing to sit to, to tell me why. And, and I found there was reasons why. And, and the, the main reason, and I, and I still don't understand it all, but I understood this. The main reason was if my area sent a thousand dollars worth of basic text to Peru, they wouldn't be able to get the books from the post office because they wouldn't have enough money to pay the post office to get the books. But World Services could do that. They knew how to get through the channels and not do that. So what we did was donated, we went on the floor the next day and donated the money to the World Service Office and earmarked it for that. And they thought that if we gave a thousand dollars to Peru, we wouldn't make a donation. But what they found out on the floor the next day is that my area, in my region, we went around and we did the donation we always gave. We went around and collected a thousand dollars as extra money to send books to Peru. And uh, we argued about that to know. And, and from that, and I'm not saying my argument, but from that now, we'll fund anyone that wants to come. Whereas we didn't, we didn't. We used to have a stipend to fund people, and when that money was gone, people didn't come. You know, and. Uh, I don't know if you if you if you hear ill things or negative things about world services, then get involved in world services. Because my eyes were open, you know, they were really open. That our program is a fellowship that's interested in growing our program. And the yellers and screamers need to stay involved so that they can make those changes. And I and I hope that, that I said something that you wanted to hear and uh Thanks for letting me share.